slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. Everything happens to me, Chet Baker. The emergency of being alive, William Stafford. Poetry as brain roads, an alternative life roots, scenic roots, exaltation roots, praise in just spring. To the tunes of Chet Baker, Barb Marley, Billie Holiday, Joni Mitchell, Celtic Woman, and the Happy Wanderer, guest host Emily Dickinson helps us welcome March, along with E.E. E. Cummings, William and Kim Stafford, Derek Walcott, Jory Graham, Leigh Hunt, Elizabeth Bishop, Louis Garcia Montero, David Wright, Gerald Stern, Philip Larkin, Seneca, Rumi, Heifetz, Stephen Grillet, C.K. Williams, Eleanor Lerman, Mark Doty, Hilary Jones, Marilyn Nelson, Kim Adonzio, D.H. Lawrence, and yours truly. The news we need, the news we heed, the news without which men die miserably every day, according to our muse, Dr. William Carlos Williams, physician, poet, healing himself and us with poetry. Speaking of news, here was this in the newspaper from a story about a woman who dies in a nursing home with agonized, helpless witnesses trying to help. Quote, but as a human being, you know, is there anybody that's willing to help this lady and not let her die? Not at this time, the nurse answered. AP, San Francisco Chronicle. Okay, I am me here, miss. Count me in. Isn't that what we're all saying? Not at this time. If not now, when? If not here, where? If not me, who? Well, I'm paraphrasing here. Rabbi Hillel, a great Jewish scholar, if I am not for myself, then who will be for me? And if I am only for myself, then what am I? And if not now, when? Rabbi Hillel was one of the most influential scholars in Jewish history, so we're thinking about what it is to be for myself and for each other on this very day of being alive. I want to get us started with the poem I wait all year to recite. Besides E.E. E. Cummings' sonnet, I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. It's Emily Dickinson welcoming in March. Will you join me? Poetry slow down. This is Professor Barbara Mossberg with producer Mr. Z, Zappa Johns. Let's hear it for Dear March. Come in. Dear March, come in. How glad I am. I hoped for you before. Put down your hat. You must have walked. How out of breath you are. Dear March, come right upstairs with me. I have so much to tell. I got your letter and the birds. The maples never knew that you were coming. 
till I called, I declare, how red their faces grew. But March, forgive me. And all those hills you left for me to hew, there was no purple suitable. You took it all with you. Who knocks? That April. Lock the door. I will not be pursued. He stayed away a year to call when I am occupied. But trifles look so trivial as soon as you have come that blame is just as dear as praise and praise as mere as blame. That's Emily Dickinson welcoming March with Gesto. And that is how I'm welcoming you, Poetry Slow Down. RadioMonterey.com. Open your mind. Think for yourself. Radio News. Come in. How glad I am. So, again, this is Professor Barbara Mossberg with our producer, Mr. Z, who makes possible our podcast where you can access our shows anytime and make the morning last 24-7. Morning, a state of mind at BarbaraMossberg.com. Poetry is a way to make the morning in our mind last, the freshness, the sense of a beginning of possibility, mental gusto and jujitsu and moxie. And I've been using poetry slowdown. And this may come from another bout of Moe's surgery, that slicing and stitching and mending, rising from what my father called the one true sincere emotion, self-pity. Why is this happening to me? Poor me. And getting up and through it, through the meditative practice of poetry, listen here, listen up to Rumi. Love has taken away my practices and filled me with poetry. I tried to keep quietly repeating no strength but yours, but I couldn't. I had to clap and sing. I used to be respectable, chaste, and, and stable. But who can stand in this strong wind and remember those things? A mountain keeps an echo deep inside itself. That is how I hold your voice. I am scrap wood thrown in your fire quickly reduced to smoke and ash. I saw you and became that empty, this emptiness, more beautiful than existence, obliterates existence. And yet, when it comes, existence thrives and creates more existence. The sky is blue. The world is a blind man sitting beside the road. Whoever sees your emptiness sees beyond the blue and the blind man. A great soul hides like Muhammad or Jesus moving through a crowd in a city where no one knows him. To praise is to praise. How one surrenders to the emptiness. To praise the sun is to praise your own eyes. Praise the ocean, what we say, a little ship. So the journey goes on.
be held by the ocean is the best luck we could have. It is a total waking up. Why should we grieve that we have been sleeping? It does not matter how long we have been unconscious. We are groggy, but let the guilt go. Feel the motions of tenderness around you. The buoyancy through me. You see what I mean? And yes, I am so guilty when I worry. Gandhi said it was a sin. Is this worry shaming? I have something that I wrote about this. I call it the redemption of worries. And it's written for Sandra M. Gilbert, the fear poet. And there's an epigraph by Gandhi. There is nothing that wastes the body like worry. And one who has any faith in God should be ashamed to worry about anything whatsoever. All right. If we're going to be shamed by someone... Let it be Gandhi. I mean no respect to a saint, however. But isn't that like blaming the victim? If we worry, we have to worry about the wrongness of worrying. But in the meantime, the meantime, I've got worries. Oh, yeah. But not just me. Don't just look at me. Scratch a poem and there is worry. A flagrancy of worry. Mary Oliver knows worry. Shakespeare knows worry. You know worry. It's a whole grammar of worry, conjugation of worry. It's what we're made of. What distinguishes us from trees or chipmunks or glorious elk or owls or stars or salamanders. We're worriers. Own it. But we're also problem solvers. So we try to talk ourselves out of things, through things, to come up with a salve, some sort of savvy solace something to rouse us ever onward. We need this in my morning inbox. Newsmax, five signs you will get cancer. Your last chance for, don't miss out on, beware, alert. Barbara, did you know that? Always adding to the day's to-do list, worry about this, stress here and now. We talk ourselves out of it, being a do-it-yourself deus ex machina, to save the day, seize it, lift and heft and hoist and heave our worry frayed spirits into resilience. Poets do encourage us not to worry, but in the process, so acknowledge worry, perhaps illuminate its purpose in the ecology of our humanity. Here are truths. The oleander in the garden, the baby eats the leaves. The dog will leap and it does have rabies. The earthquake rumbles as we cross the bridge. We knew it. After the footstep heard in the dark, the door is pried. The burner was left on. The house is in flames. Those sirens are heading for your address. We drag these truths like my father's blue bag shouldered for emergencies. Paper clips for loose papers. Bottles for loose bowels, whiskey for dentistry. Once I was stopped by airport police for fondue forks in my purse. 
in case, because you never know. But we do know. We know exactly. Certainties we don't believe in. Stars at day, hours to recall for a darkness of our own making, a darkness our mother taught us, but a darkness whose fears we angle like fish. We lure them with our secretly unrepentant selves who will never, never die. We are humbugs, heretics, Fears are messages, selfies we send ourselves to say how much we want to live. And the cook's dream of asparagus taking revenge, that's a spice we need for word lasagna. We are cooks. Fear is a dutiful form of the imagination. It grounds us, so we soar unfettered. We do not lose the world. It does not lose us. Our neocortical capacity to trump the brain's way of worry and fear and pain through appreciation, love, delight, language, language that invokes a respect for human experience, our dear, dear, infinitely precious selves, so sweetly vulnerable, who do not want to die, who worry endlessly. You have to love us. Our worries are lovable. And yes, because to worry about something, doesn't it just call to all you love and care for? Could we see worry as a compliment to the creator of creation? Go on, worry. This is valiance. This is bravery. This is transforming skunk to recognition of beauty and what does endure. So let's give, give up worry and let's give it up for worry. Let's hear it for worry and against worry, and our worries, are we not so precious? T.S. Eliot, teach me to care and not to care. In the human landscape, we can find ourselves if we just look for what we worry about, trying to come to terms with our worries, a respect for ourselves for worrying, our mortal, fearful selves, foolish, so vulnerable. We are existential clowns. I don't want to get you in trouble with Gandhi, but if we could see each poem as worry beads, reasoning with us, guilting us, joyous, bogus, worry, work to shame us and rally us and forgive us, can I talk you out of your worries, I once said, and now would never. Worries are prayers, our skin in the game, our respect for what Mary Oliver calls our one wild and precious life. Messages to say how much we want to live, avatars of faith, optimism, worries otherwise, like the man saying, you are my other me, the dark matter, the phantom energy, the dark energy to the visible light of worry. That's my meditation on worrying and the shame of it all. So on this theme of worry about worrying, blaming myself, Dickinson's, but blame is just as fear as praise and praise as mere as blame. Faith, don't worry. 
Bob Marley, three little words. Every little thing's gonna be all right. I'm thinking of the biblical story of Jesus and the disciples on the Lake of Galilee from sermons by Brian King called The Lake Rules, which really got to me. The men are on the lake and a storm has risen and they are panicked and Jesus walks out on the water to them. Here's Matthew 14, 28, 29. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. So Peter's walking on the water and then freaks out. I'm walking on the water and sinks and is yanked up by Jesus because he lost faith there for a moment. And Jesus says, O ye of little faith. Here's Matthew 8:26, And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Well, sometimes I am like that, I admit. And here is Rumi, let the guilt go. Feel the motions of tenderness around you, the buoyancy. I'll read that passage of his again. A great soul hides like Muhammad or Jesus, moving through a crowd in a city where no one knows him. To praise is to praise how one surrenders to the emptiness. To praise the sun is to praise your own eyes. Praise the ocean, what we say, a little shit. Why should we grieve that we have been sleeping? It does not matter how long we have been unconscious. We are groggy, but let the guilt go. Feel the motions of tenderness around you, the buoyancy. Mm -hmm. We can hear this message everywhere in poetry, taking these big march breaths of mental winds in just spring by E.E. E. Cummings. In just spring, when the world is mud-luscious, the little lame balloon man whistles far, and we and Eddie and Bill come running from marbles and piracies, and it's spring when the world is puddle wonderful. The queer old balloon man whistles far, and we and Betty and Isabel come dancing from hopscotch and jump rope, and it's spring, and the goat footed balloon man whistles far and we. Thank you for going with me on this, how we are indebted to poetry engineers for our wanderings over our days. Landscape of happenings, momentous, calamitous, heartbreaking, day-making. Chet Baker says, everything's happening to me. I make a date for God And you can bet your life it brings I try to give a party And the guy upstairs complains 
I guess I'll go through life Just catching colds and missing trains Everything happens to me I never miss a thing I've had the measles and the mumps And when I play an ace My partner always trumps I guess I'm just a fool Who never looks before he jumps Everything happens to me gives us a literary glittery reality helping us see what we have here but there is to see praise to welcome all the things that happen our Rumi says this being human is a guest house every morning a new arrival a joy a depression a meanness some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Well, it occurred to me that this is what poets do. Poetry is. Shelley said, Poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world in his defense of poetry in 1821. We can say poets are the unacknowledged guides of our imagination. Poetry is a mental road that we traverse, determining how and why we navigate our environment, our human experience, the ways of thought and language that expresses and captures the experience. Everything's happening to me. As Chet Baker says, we have a history of examples of how someone's memory of a poem determines how we experience a moment or even just a day. This is Completely Friday by Luis Garcia Montero, translated by Katie King. By the detergents and dish soap, by the orderly books and room on the floor, by the clean windows, by the table without papers, notebooks, or pens, by the easy chairs without newspapers, whoever approaches my house will find a day that is completely Friday. That is how I find it when I go out into the streets and the cathedral has been taken over by the world of the living and in the supermarket, June becomes a bottle of gin, sausages, and dessert. Fan of light in the kiosk of the flower shop. City that undresses completely Friday, as does my body, 
which recalls the memory of your body and foretells your presence and the restlessness of all it touches and the remote control for the music and the paper of the magazine and the ice melted away just as the morning melts away completely Friday when the front door opens, the ice box walks divines what my body knew and suggests other titles for this poem, completely you, morning of the return, good love, good company. Just a day, how a poem can change the way your mind thinks, can take you to a place you did not know. For example, who cares for an old fish face, right? Well, Elizabeth Bishop's The Fish and Leigh Hunt's We've had those on our show before. Several of you have written me to ask about these strange poems. And what about standing at the sink? Is that epic terrain? Are falling apart selves decrepit? Well, there's another way to think about it. Gerald Stern's grapefruit. Pablo Neruda's Ode to Tomatoes and Fried Potatoes and Aging. And here's Lines on Retirement after reading Lear by David Wright. Avoid storms. Avoid retirement parties. You can't trust the sweetnesses your friends will offer when they really want your office, which they'll redecorate. Beware the still untested pension plan. Keep your keys. Ask for more troops than you think you'll need. Listen more to fools and less to colleagues. Love your youngest child the most, regardless. Back to storms. Dress warm. Take a friend. Don't eat the grass. Don't stand near tall trees. And keep the yelling down. The winds won't listen and no one will see you in the dark. It's too hard to hear you over all the thunder. But you're not Lear, except that we can't stop you from what you've planned to do. In the end, no one leaves the stage in character. We never see the feather the mirror held to our lips. So don't wait for skies to crack with sun. Feel the storm's sweet sting invade you to the skin, the strange sore comforts of the wind. Embrace your children's ragged praise and that of friends. Go ahead. Take it all. Take it all off. Run naked into tempests. Weave flowers into your hair. Bellow at cataracts. If you dare, scream at the gods. Babble as if you thought words could save. Drink rain like cold beer. So much better than making theories. We'd all come with you laughing if we could. That's David. Right. And this is a um, poem that we've loved over all the years. This is a poem on aging, and it's by Philip Larkin. And I know you're you're hoping that um, we can just savor this. Um, He is writing about the old fools, thinking about David Wright saying, you know, listen more to fools, less to colleagues. Larkin says, what do they think has happened, the old fools, to make them like this? 
Do they somehow suppose it's more grown-up when your mouth hangs open and drools and you keep on pissing yourself and can't remember who called this morning or that? If they only chose, they could alter things back to when they danced all night or went to their wedding or sloped arms some September. Or do they fancy there's really been no change and they've always behaved as if they were crippled or tight or sat through days of this thin, continuous dreaming, watch you light move? If they don't and they can't, it's strange. Why aren't they screaming? At death you break up. The bits that were you start speeding away from each other forever with no one to see. It's only oblivion. True, we've had it before. But then it was going to end and was all the time merging with a unique endeavor to bring to bloom the million petaled flower of not being here. Next time you can't pretend there'll be anything else. And these are the first signs. Not knowing how, not hearing who, the power of choosing gone. Their looks show that they're for it. Ash hair, toed hands, pruned face dried into lines. How can they ignore it? Oh, Philip Larkin, this is so harsh. He ends his poem, We Shall Find Out. Well, there's a lot of other ways to think about it. Poetry, slow down. I was just about this far in our show being led, as it seems, down the road of human development, our aging, because that's what we do, right? Every day, every moment. We can look at the sky and know that we, too, are changing this much. When something happened in the news, it's happened some time ago, in the category of heartbreaking about a residence facility in Bakersfield, California, where an 87-year-old woman uh, collapsed in the dining hall and someone called 911. And police directed the call to firefighters to ask the person on the phone to apply CPR while an ambulance was on his way. And the person identified herself as a nurse and refused to do it. And I saw this on the television news and an AP story in the newspaper. And the exact wording was, um, you know, uh, I understand if your boss is telling you you can't do it, but as a human being, you know, is there anybody that's willing to help this lady and not let her die? Not at this time, the nurse answered. And seven minutes later, the ambulance arrives. But by then, the woman has died. And uh, the uh, person on the line trying to get help uh, from 911 asked when nobody would help, well, is there a gardener? Is there any staff, anyone who doesn't work for you, anywhere? Can we flag down someone in the street and get them to help this lady? Can we flag a stranger down? I bet a stranger would help her. I understand if your facility is not willing to do that. Give the phone to a passerby. This woman is not breathing enough. She's going to die if we don't get this started. Do you understand? Well, I'm thinking of this as a human being, you know, is there anybody that's willing to help this lady and not let her die? What does poetry have to say about this? What are ways to think about this that will help?
your sweet expression smile gave me the way that when we met it's easy to remember but so hard to forget I hear you whisper I'll always love you I know it's over and yet it's easy to remember but so So, Holly Holiday, it's easy to remember. What does poetry help us remember? We're in this together, you and me. I'm Professor Mossberg with producer Z. We're thinking, everything happens to me. In a way, poetry gives us to think about this emergency of being alive. Perhaps Robert Frost, the road not taken, but it's a road he took. And at the end of the day, this is what he remembers I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And it's a road we're taking. Seneca, around 20 BC, writes, Our fears are more numerous than our dangers, and we suffer more in our imaginations than in reality. Wherever there is a human being, there is an opportunity for kindness. Oho! So Seneca was a Roman Stoic philosopher, statesman, dramatist, tutor, advisor to the Emperor Nero, and he was forced to commit suicide for alleged complicity in a conspiracy to assassinate Nero. He may have been innocent. Stephen Grillet says, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness that I can show to any fellow creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it for I shall not pass this way again. And what Rumi says in Zero Circle, be helpless, dumbfounded, unable to say yes or no, then a stretcher will come from grace to gather us up. We are too dull to see that beauty. If we say we can, we're lying. If we say no, we don't see it, that no will behead us and shut tight our window onto spirit. So let us rather not be sure of anything beside ourselves, and only that. So miraculous beings come running to help. Christ, lying in a zero-circle mute, we shall be saying finally, with tremendous eloquence, lead us. When we have totally surrendered to that beauty, we shall be a mighty kindness. And Heifetz, a Persian mystic, a hundred years later says, it happens all the time and someday it will begin to happen again on earth that men and women who are married and men and men who are lovers and women and women who give each other light often will get down on their knees and while so tenderly 
holding their lover's hand with tears in their eyes, will sincerely speak, saying, my dear, how can I be more loving to you? How can I be more kind? It's Heifetz. I wonder how fear, our oldest brain function of the Abhidhala, tangles with our highest, newest brain function, the appreciative and love capacity of our neocortex. Science says appreciation will trump fear and pain. Compassion, sympathy, empathy, simple kindness should rule. Did I say simple kindness? It is the most complex function of the human brain. Compassion liberates our conscience. Expressing our conscience ennobles us. When we're kind, it's when we are at our most wise. This wisdom enlightens our courage. It is not fear that keeps us from our most glorious humanity. Fear that makes us heartless. Is it not love that enables us to be brave on behalf of one another and our earth? There's always a chance to be a hero for the woman lying on the floor. It could be your mom or mine, our daughter lying on that floor. A chance to try to help, to be of shining use. My sorrow is for the nurse so afraid in her work environment. Is this not a universal predicament for everyone? What are we afraid of in our days that keeps us from kindness? Can we legislate mercy? Can kindness be in our cultural air? Calls for kindness have been with us since humans scratched out messages to each other in soil, clay, branches from everywhere on earth. It's in us to be good. Can we find a way from this lady lying on the floor for seven minutes with a chance for life to redeem this collapse somehow? To give new breath to what is noble in us, what is brave, what is earnest, a sustainable grace. Is there a poem that can take us from a place of fear? Well, William Stafford says, Dr. B, poetry, slow down. I have a poem. Okay. Okay, Bill Stafford, what is it? It's called, For My Young Friends Who Are Afraid. Okay, let's hear it. To cross you will find in the corner of your eye, in the quick slip of your foot, air far down, a snap that might have caught. And maybe for you, for me, a high passing voice that finds its way by being afraid. That country is there for us, carried as it is crossed. What you fear will not go away. It will take you into yourself and bless you and keep you. That's the world. And we all live there. That's Bill Stafford. Well, thank you, Mr. Stafford. Now, to the man who has written in time, while we have this emergency of being alive, I'm thinking of the reply to the desperate plea for help. Is there anybody here to help her? 
not at this time. C.K. Williams has a vision of poetry so helpful to us in our daily emergencies and nightly existential sweats that he wants a poem for each of us to take on our life journey. And so the poem is called Yours. Here's how it goes. Here, here. I'd like every girl in the world to have a poem of her own I've written for her. I don't even want to make love to them all anymore. Just write things. You are a wonder of soul, spirit, intelligence. When for everyone. And then the men. I don't care whether I can still beat them all. A poem for them. How many? Seeing you go through woods like part of the woods, seeing you play piano, seeing you hold your child in your tender, devastating hands, and of course the children too, little poems. They could sing or dance to this. It's our jumping game. This is our singing game, our holding each other. Even the presidents, while they're deaf, the congressmen and judges, I give them something. They would hold awed to their chests as their proudest life thing. Somebody walking along a road where there's no city would look up and see his poem coming down like a feather out of nowhere. Or on the assembly line, new instructions, a voice sweet as lunchtime. Or she would turn over a stone by the fire and if she couldn't read, it would sing to her in her body. Listen, everyone, you have your own poem now. It's yours as much as your heart, as much as your own life is. You can do things to it, shine it up, iron it, dress it in doll clothes. Oh, men, oh, people, please stop how it's happening now. Please, I'm working as fast as I can. I can't stop to use periods. Sometimes I draw straight lines on the page because the words are too slow. I can only do one at a time. Don't die first, please. Don't give up and start crying or hating each other. They're coming. I'm hurrying. Be patient. There's still time, isn't there? Isn't there? That's C.K. Williams. In poetry, slow down. There is still time. There is. Don't give up and start crying or hating each other. They're coming. The poet tells us when we cry for help, there's still time. Yes, there is all we need. So we'll be back after our song break for poetry, slow down with Mr. Z. This is Professor Barbara Mossberg. Cause you're my friend. 
thrill. That's Joni Mitchell singing, You're My Thrill. Welcome. If you're just joining us, we're at the Poetry Slowdown. Think for Yourself Radio with me, your host, Professor Barbara Mossberg, producer Mr. Z. We're talking about poetry as a way to think about the emergency of being alive when everything's happening to me. And that's Joni Mitchell, how in fact things can be a thrill. You, the day. A poem can take us to terrain we did not think mattered or was even there to see. Like standing in front of the kitchen sink, dribbling, decrepit. This is Gerald Stern in his 80s. I'm eating breakfast, even if it means standing in front of the sink and tearing at the grapefruit, even if I'm leaning over to keep the juices away from my chest and stomach, and even if a spider is hanging from my ear and a wild flea is crawling down my leg. And he ends up saying, as he's standing in front of the sink, here, blessed art thou, king of tomatoes, king of grapefruit, the thistle must have some juices, there must be a trick. And he says, there must be a saint in our time. What will he be? And what will he eat? And he tries to imagine the saint. And he goes and he lies outside on the grass. And he looks up at the sky. A bird crossing from berm to berm. I move my eyes back and forth. I stretch my neck. Ah, sky. My breakfast is over. My lunch is over. The wind has stopped. It is the hour of deepest thought. Now I brood. I grimace how quickly the day goes, how full it is of sunshine and wind, how many smells there are, how gorgeous Sanjans, blessed art thou, Lord of the falling leaf, Lord of the rhubarb, Lord of the roving cat, Lord of the cloud. Blessed art thou, O grapefruit, king of the universe, blessed art thou, my sink. O blessed art thou, thou milkweed, queen of the sky, burster of seeds, who bringeth forth juice from the earth. It's Gerald Stern. And Elizabeth Bishop writes about the lowly, humble fish. And she says, I caught a tremendous fish. And what does she do? She lets this fish go. She's in an old decrepit boat. It's leaking oil. And at the end, what does she say to us about being alive? Well, This fish she lets go has all of these hooks hanging from its lips. She says, I stared and stared and victory 
filled up the little rented boat from the pool of bilge where oil had spread a rainbow around the rusted engine to the baler orange, the sun cracked thwarts, the orlocks on their strings, the gunnels. And everything was rainbow, rainbow, rainbow. And I let the fish go. So we see this possibility of transcendent moments. Lay Hunt, writing around 1800, the fish, the man, and the spirit. And he says to the fish, you strange, astonished-looking, angle-faced, dreary-mouthed, gaping wretches of the sea, gulping salt water everlastingly, cold-blooded, though with red your blood be graced. And what does he say about us with a split body and most ridiculous pace, disgracer of all, grace, long, useless, finned, haired, upright, unwet, slow. This is from the fish's point of view, looking at us human beings. How canst exist? How bear thyself, thou dry and dreary sloth? What particle canst share of only the blessed life, the watery? I sometimes see of ye an actual pair go by, linked fin by fin most odiously. The fish turns into a man and then into a spirit and again speaks. Indulge thy smiling scorn, man, and loathe, but with a sort of love. And then he finally says, man's life is warm, glad, sad, twixt loves and graves, boundless in hope, honored with pangs austere, heaven gazing, and his angel wings he craves. The fish is swift, small needing, vague yet clear, a cold, sweet, silver life wrapped in round waves, quickened with touches of transporting fear. So those are different perspectives. Starfish by Eleanor Lerman. This is what life does. It lets you walk up to a store to buy breakfast and the paper on a stiff knee. It lets you choose the way you have your eggs, your coffee. Then it sits a fisherman down beside you at the counter who say, last night the channel was full of starfish. And you wonder, is this a message finally or just another day? Life lets you take the dog for a walk down to the pond where whole generations of biological processes are boiling beneath the mud. Reeds speak to you of the natural world. They whisper, they sing, and herons pass by. Are you old enough to appreciate the moment? Too old? There is movement beneath the water, but it may be nothing. There may be nothing going on, and then life suggests that you remember the years you ran around, the years you developed a shocking lifestyle, advocated careless abandon, owned a chilly heart. Upon reflection, you are genuinely surprised to find how quiet you have become. And then life lets you go home to think about all this. 
which you do for quite a long time. Later, you wake up beside your old love, the one who never had any conditions, the one who waited you out. This is life's way of letting you know that you are lucky. It won't give you smart or brave, so you'll have to settle for lucky. Because you were born at a good time, because you were able to listen when people spoke to you, because you stopped when you should have and started again. So life lets you have a sandwich and pie for your late night dessert, pie for the dog as well. And then life sends you back to bed to dreamland while outside the starfish drift through the channel with smiles on their starry faces as they head out to deep water to the far and boundless sea. And that is Eleanor Lerman. William Stafford wrote about the great emergency of being alive. His son, Kim, a poet whose words we often quote on our show, uh, we love his poetry foyer into the Portland Zoo, wrote about his dad. His words seem plain to some, his subjects ordinary. His response to offer as an alternative to the loud and aggressive, a quiet language of reconciliation. So healing, solace, forgiveness, inspiration, knowing where we are, feeling known and knowing in this human terrain. So this is what I think of poetry slow down of ours, you buoyant hearts. What Franklin Delano Roosevelt said to us, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Is right that fear keeps us from being our whole neocortican appreciative selves, the true kindness that is the result of a sense of kin, belonging to each other, belonging here, each of our being belonging. And this poem of William Stafford's is a road in our minds of solace, of comfort, that invokes our humanity, saves the day, saves our lives. He wrote that poetry does this engineering of our mental maps. This is what poetry can do for us and for him. He says, when I met my muse, I glanced at her and took my glasses off. They were still singing. They buzzed. Her voice billed forth the sunlight bent. I felt the ceiling arch. I knew that nails up there took on a new grip on whatever they touched. Only every glance at the world around you will be a sort of let us remember, as he said, it's all right. And may every glance at the world around you be a sort of salvation if we slow down for poetry. Thank you for joining me today. Our producer is Zappa Johns, Mr. Z, who does our podcast at barbaramosberg.com, our radiomonterey.com, open your mind crew. But as a human being, you know, is there anybody that's willing to help this lady and not let her die? Not at this time. Yes, there is. We are everywhere. We are at this time. Yes, now at this time, it's all right. And you will sleep. Be lost and afraid, worry warts, blaming yourself. Don't go there. Go to a place poetry takes us. Let's always remember to take out this roadmap of what's possible. Yours ever. Professor Barbara Mossberg taking the poetry high road, high noon road, making the morning last. We're all here.
and it is all all right. I love to go wandering along the mountain track, and as I go, I love to sing my knapsack on my back. Bye. 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 